Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts, and Be The Star You Are for Teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925-377-STAR. 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 have a plan for your life. You've set goals. You know where you want to go. Congratulations on finding Star Style. Be the star you are. Our vibrant hosts, passion, purpose, and possibility producer Cynthia Bryan and her energetic daughter, healthy living specialist Heather Brittany, share the best roads, fastest detours, and successful strategies for a life worth living. Reach your potential with their personal achievement coaching, miracle moments, inspiring guests, titillating interviews, and business bites. Be introduced to new books and innovative ideas that encourage you to live a positive, sustainable lifestyle while achieving your dreams. Ignite your power, make a difference in the world, and shoot for the stars. It's the power hour of living, loving, laughing, and learning. On Star Style, be the star you are. Lend us your ears. The party starts now. Never say never. Live your dream. Well, welcome, Power Partners, to our informational playground. It is the end of the year, the beginning of a new year. This is Star Style, be the star you are. Brought to the airwaves under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity. And we are your hosts, Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And you are listening to us live on the Voice America Empowerment Channel, and we are so excited today because it's always really fun to have reflected upon a great year, but now to be striving for a more meaningful, exciting, you know, fun new year where we're going to set goals and know what we're going to do. So we hope that you enjoy our show. We've got a great one for you. The Miracle Moment is brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity. It's not too late to make that end of year tax deduction. You know, why give it to Uncle Sam when you can help a uh, literacy and positive media charity? Go to bethestarur.org. And this is from Abraham Lincoln. Some people are always grumbling because roses have thorns. I am thankful that thorns have roses. And that is going to lead us into our show today because we are going to have a fabulous guest in segment two, Michael Marriott, who is a rose specialist, and he'll be coming to us live from Great Britain. And he is part of the David Austin Roses, my favorite roses really in the world. They're old world, smelling beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Mm. roses. So this whole show, as Heather and I are bringing to you, are going to be, is going to be a garden show. It's going to be about health in the garden. It's going to be about your roses, about lessons that we learn in the garden. So to end our year 
and launch a new one. We want you to be healthier, happier, and get out in nature more. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to my co-host and my uh, dynamic duo in our T for Two Health Matters segment because, Heather, both of us know the benefits of gardening and the benefits of being outside in nature. So I know that you want to talk to our listeners about how we can get outdoors more, have fun in the garden, and what are going to be the results of getting more of that fresh air and exercise and green, you know, in our lives. So take it away. Exactly. Well, as you probably know, one of the number one uh, uh, most uh, things that people say at the end of the year is they make their resolutions for the next one. And the number one thing is always to either lose weight, get in shape, start a new exercise routine. Everyone starts off with a lot of gas too, and before we know it, it's it's uh, not even uh, not even February, and those dreams are already gone. But getting to something that can be fun, exercise. A lot of times when people hear exercise, it's like, oh, it's the last thing I want to do. And I know you're one of those people that says, I do not want to be stuck inside a gym. I'd much rather be outside gardening. And gardening can actually be considered a form of exercise. Now, it all depends in, on how much you're doing and what you're doing exactly. Because when they did studies of just kind of showing uh, people doing certain things as digging, raking, uh, mulching, hoeing, uh, pulling hoses, uh, watering, mixing, all these kinds of things that um, they show that this can actually be considered uh, light to moderate um, uh, high-intensity physical activity. That means it's getting your heart rate up, the cardiovascular, you're going to burn more calories. Um, it's just good for your overall body. It'll lower your blood pressure. Um, but you could be doing more strenuous things. Maybe you're pushing the wheelbarrow up the hill full of hay. Maybe you're digging in dishes. So things can become more of a full-body workout with that. And you have the upwards of building, you know, towards 500 calories. But same than just the regular day-to-day uh, gardening, they still recommend that you uh, put about 30 minutes of additional walking or some kind of physical activity with it um, because more and more people, it used to be the go outside and get 30. There used to be these ads and telling kids to get 30. Now it's 60. I think it's crazy that we even have to remind kids and people to get around and move, especially kids, to go outside and play. But now they actually have PSAs for that. So the thing with uh, physical activity is that we're not moving as much as we used to be. And so thus it's happening. Our bodies are changing. We're getting, you know, different forms and back. That's why people have uh, tighter backs and lower back injuries. It's actually from less work so that when we're, we are working now, our bodies are, are not nice to be sitting in these chairs all day. Yeah, and we can thank technology for that. There's the benefits of technology, but since we're not an agrarian society anymore, you're exactly right. We are sitting on our behinds more, and that's putting pressure on all of our ligaments and and bones and everything. So, good point. we got to get up and get out. Exactly. So what a great thing too is, as you just said, I mean, I'm one of those people that there's sometimes there are just tasks I have to do inside the house. I do not get good computer service outside, unfortunately. So there's times you feel you're stuck inside the house and you don't want to be in there. So a great thing too is sometimes I'm craving just to get outside and want better to get outside and garden. It's the fresh thing of year. Maybe you want to start too with doing something new to your own garden or planting something. Maybe you've never grown vegetables or flowers. Just something there is already that self-reward that self-pride, an additional 
a bonus that comes with this that you kind of have this pride when you say, I grew that. I, this is something you plant, watching it, it grow. I have to say that the things that we've planted that were so little or that have, that have almost died and come back, you feel that pride that you've kept it alive through all this time. So that's going to be an additional bonus, that you're going to get this endorphin booster, um, which is something in overall just working out your body releases endorphins, that feel-good hormone. That's why people say they get a runner's high afterwards. They feel really good. I know for me, I feel that I'm stressed getting in a workout feels really good. Same thing with just getting outside. It's you need that fresh air um, and the, the good oxygens that come from the plants and the vegetables. But also when you're gardening, you're actually moving and using almost nearly every major, uh, major muscle group. You're going to be using your buttocks. You're going to be using your arms, your abs. And you can really work deeper into your core by focusing on your breath. Throughout your exercise, throughout your, throughout your exercise, throughout your gardening, um, the big thing that is pulling in your navel. I remember when I was a kid, you used to tell us these things about sucking in your stomach for 50 seconds and you'd blow it out like a, a watermelon and pulling it in and it's getting into your diaphragm, getting into your deepest abs and you have your, your transverse abdominals, those are your corset muscles. I like to think of them as your spank muscles that they wrap around you, they suck everything in. So do yourself a double bonus that when you're out in the garden, you're hoeing, you're pulling, you're you're digging, that you're focusing on your breathing too. That way also you're taking in the nice fresh oxygen that's going to be good for your blood vessels, good for your brain, especially being inside all day. Um, but also that's going to help just with your abs, pulling your navel in and getting that additional bonus for it. Um, gardening also increases your flexibility. There's a lot of reaching and bending and pulling. Um, it helps with that. It's going to stretch out your muscles, lengthens joints. Um, it's good for your cardiovascular health. That will help lower blood pressure. Um, and one thing, too, as well with uh, flexibility and in the joints is that it's less intense on your joints. It can be a high-intensity, low to no impact. So a lot of times people want a workout, but there's many things that are too hard on joints or bones um, or muscles. So this, for the most part, is going to be lesser. I know over time what kind of gets people into more injuries is carrying things beyond their weight, uh, not using proper tools, and also sometimes with gardening it can be, I don't want to say easy, but you can definitely make it a less strenuous if you have uh, particular uh, props, particular things that you could choose to to um, push lawn, mow the lawn and do one of those push ones, or you could ride one of those ones. So there's things that you could do that could make things that are less uh, gardening, less exercise, but there's also the things on the same side that you can make it more strenuous and more physical activity, um, working up that sweat as well. Oh, and for you, I mean, what do you think for you? I mean, I know that gardening is your main thing, that you're all, I mean, and it's such a workout well, you know, all it, day long. It's you're become like hills. one of my main exercises besides swimming and uh, swimming and biking. I, it used to be I did all these other sports, and then I did get a back injury. But I absolutely love it. And for me, it is my chance to think. And so I lose track of time when I'm in the garden. And what that does is it really, really kind of clears my mind. So besides just my body, it's a really good thing for my mind. And I thought maybe what I would share are just some lessons that I've learned in the garden that to me, I really find happiness, satisfaction. Um, and most of all, I, I grow this healthy body, mind and spirit. So yeah. I, when I'm saying clearing your mind, I don't know how you feel about this, but you know, gardening is more than pulling weeds and just digging. It's really a time to focus on the earth and to release our yeah. stress, as you were saying. 
And I find so often that I'm laughing when I'm in the garden because I see silly things or I see plants growing or like I have one plant of sage that I planted a long time ago and it was supposed to be a green sage and one stem of the sage is a variegated green and white and the rest is regular green. So there's a lot of crazy things that, ha- that happen. Also, I think patience is learned in the garden because you just can't hurry a, a carrot. So what people learn yeah. is that there are seasons to life. We have to continue to care for our plants. We got to water, you know, weed, prune, fertilize, make sure they have light, make sure they have room. And then we reap the rewards. So that reminds me of how we grow relationships. It's the same kind of thing, right? You got to give them Time and care and love and all of that. <laughs> what a perfect analogy of that. I was going to say, I honestly, I think being outside and being in the garden, it sparks creativity for me. I think it is that time that I'm someone that, though I do like to have music on, but there's time when I'm just out in nature. If you, when it is just me out there, it kind of allows me just to just focus on. And you start to listen and you hear the crackles of the leaves and the the birds and just the you know the the wind blowing through trees and I think for me it makes me think of other things I want to do of writing or it makes me think of ideas I get good it's sort of like my thinking time out there I exactly. get, I get exactly. inspired well, by certain things well that's what I always say is you know because I am a writer and I'm a garden writer as well is I cannot focus even when I'm in my office unless I have a door open and I hear trickling fountain and I hear the birds and the same thing I hear the leaves I really when I'm outside or even when I have my door open so that I can, you know, tune into nature even when I have to be in my technological uh, stance. I uh, tune into what's happening outside. So sometimes I get focused on watching a bee trying to, you know, get get the nectar <laughs> out of the lavender, or I'll watch a hummingbird. I have lots of hummingbirds, and they're the most fascinating creatures. They're like little helicopters. And yeah. you know, the same with the butterflies. And and like right now, I planted some grass, and it, it's not supposed to be eaten by the birds. They say they advertise that the seed is the birds don't like it. Well, I'm not sure if the birds don't like it or if the seedlings are coming up, but my lawn is covered with birds. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm not sure. But anyway, I learned a lot. Another thing I find about gardening is... um, I, I, my curiosity is aroused in the garden. It's a, a real world of wonder and exploration. And I find when I get down on my knees and I start investigating that insect or, or, you know, I dig up a worm and then I actually look at how it works, you know, what it's doing because it's aerating my soil. Or I look into the stamen of the flower to see, you know, all that pollen. I, I, my curiosity is just excited. Uh, so I love that. Uh, let's see. What else do I really think about? Oh, you know what I love about plants? They're kind of like your animals. I mean, they don't really talk back to you, but they're tolerant <laughs> of me. I can go out into the garden. doesn't matter what I look like, what I smell like, you know, whether I'm having a bad day or not. My my plants, they don't judge me. <laughs> yeah. And, and for that, I thank them for their generosity because I find that there's just so much bounty in the garden. And most of us think of generosity in dollars and cents. And But gardening isn't about money. It's really about spending quality time, hopefully with somebody that you really care about, you know, sharing that love of nature and just learning more about what is happening uh, in the garden. And, you know, one of the things for me 
and you know it's been for your grandmother, your nanny, forever, and you're probably the same way, is I love to offer fruits, flowers, herbs, branches, bouquets. Oh, always. <laughs> right? So, I feel like, I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, in this culture now, it's so bougie and it's so cool having, you know, we, the going to the farmer's market and, and having fresh things. And I don't know, I feel this sense of self-pride, even when it isn't my vegetables. Just recently, I went to a Christmas party and I brought some of our grandma's persimmons and I brought and I yeah. in from my nanny's tree. And it was so excited. Yeah. I had so much pride to say, oh, you know, like that she grew these. And I right. love them and couldn't get over it, too. No, that's so right. That's exactly. I just I actually just did that yesterday. I I only got 20 persimmons on my tree this year because the squirrels and the birds and the deer, they just love them as much as I do. So I mixed a few of mine in with a, a few of Nani's and um, gave them to a friend who had done something nice for me. And she was so excited because, first of all, they're very expensive in the store, you know, to get these big, beautiful yeah. ones. These are organic, they're fresh, and my gosh, they're so good. But I, I love it. We, I went to our, um, our holiday luncheon for our newspaper this last week, and the gifts that I gave my editors and publishers were all things from my garden. And I appreciate yeah. things that are handmade because it shows you really care. So, I love yeah, it. So our garden offers us that. The other thing I was going to say is about um, there's a lot of spontaneity in a garden. I mean, think about it. You see seeds flying through the air, and then they grow where they fall. Now, we don't always want them growing there. Like I, the, uh, the squirrels plant way too many acorns. I don't like that at all. <laughs> love like looking into my potager where vegetables and flowers and herbs are bedmates. They grow together. And so I just feel like kicking my heels up when I go out into my garden. And this time of year, the leaves have fallen. Uh, we've had a lot of rain. And it's not very really the prettiest time of the year, but there is something that's really lovely about the leaves on the ground. And I can see that everybody, everything is kind of going to bed. Everything's going to sleep. And what it's doing is it's giving me permission to chill out a little bit more and to rest. And at this time of the year here in California, we're going to be talking about roses in the next um, segment and the couple, next couple segments. But I love seeing my final bouquets of roses. And then in January, I'm going to be pruning them hard. And then I'll be planting some of these David Austin um, roses, the bare root, and probably some other ones too. And uh, I, how, how are your roses doing? But I just love cutting roses right now and bringing them in because it's the final, the final hurrah. Yeah, well, we have that bizarre garden that does its own little thing and grows when things are not supposed to. Um, but yeah, you know, it's what I love seeing, especially with the seasons. Uh, I find it just overall inspiring and just nice to be out there. And, and just an overall of, of with gardening thing, as you said, it's a great thing with relationship. I think at the new year, too, it's a fun time to kind of start a new project um, because as a lot of people might not know that certain things don't grow all the year around and so some things that you enjoy at a certain time you need to plant it at a certain time or vice versa you need to harvest it at a certain time so this could be a fun little project with someone starting just maybe a little mini herb garden or a memorial garden or just planting some flowers and trying to see what's going to happen next. Starting, and you know, you know, with that, that I just want to say if people want to uh, connect with my uh, weekly garden guide, I do a monthly garden guide of what
what to plant when so that you'll harvest it uh, correctly. How convenient! You know, I think that we'll be doing a lot of health things for the new year in our shows because it's really about what you were just saying is in order to be healthy, you have to eat what is current. So you really want to not, when you go to buy your vegetables, whether you're doing it at the farmer's market or the grocery store, is you want to get the things that are right up front that are in season now. So you don't buy peaches in December because peaches are not ripe in December. If they are, they're coming from South America or someplace they've had to travel a long way. Right now, as you said, it's persimmons, it's pomegranates, you know, it's cabbages, it's It's broccoli. It's the time of the gourds right now. That's right, gourds, pumpkins, all of those things. So you always want to buy what is being grown fresh near you. So if anybody's interested in uh, finding out, you can go to CynthiaBryan.com and click on where it says the, the gardening page. And the website is in the process of being rebuilt, but you can still get to everything now. And on the gardening page, you can just click on the different garden guides or digging deep for each month. And that'll tell you what to plant, when to harvest, what to do, all the new things. Well, Heather, this is going to be a fabulous year. We're looking forward to it. We have lots and lots of entertainment for you and, of course, healthy, healthy tips uh, for next year. So make sure you are always tuned in to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We're with you live every Wednesday, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific time, and we're coming to you on the Voice America Network. And this is the Empowerment Channel, so you are guaranteed to be empowered. So, Heather, give out our websites. Most definitely. We want you to go to BeTheStarYouAre.com as well as BeTheStarYouAre.org. And if you ever miss anything, you can get a lot of descriptions, photos, links, and more, and always get to the Voice America Network from our radio site, which is StarStyleRadio.net. Well, we wish you a very, very, very happy end of the year and a wonderful, wonderful new year just filled with joy and prosperity and happiness and playfulness. And when we come back from break, the amazing Michael Marriott will be with us from David Austin Rose's Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Growing roses he has the answers so you don't want to miss this stay with me i am cynthia bryan and i'm heather Brittany. and you've been listening to star style be the star you are we will be back don't go away it's your world motivate change succeed VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Are you seeking a dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. 
Avoid the scams and get started acting or modeling with a consultation from acting and media coach Cynthia Bryan, who has guided the entertainment careers of thousands of students of all ages for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. That's 925-377-STAR. Plug in your headphones and tune in to enlightening interviews with acclaimed authors and success experts as our Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, gabs with the gurus. Lend us your ears for the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Now, here's Cynthia Bryan. Well, thanks for joining our conversation here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where we bring you the pioneers on the planet. I am Cynthia Bryan, and I am so delighted to introduce our special guest today, Michael Marriott, Technical Director and Rosarian from David Austin Roses in Great Britain. I was so privileged to meet Michael at the National Garden Symposium when I was lecturing, and when I saw that David Austin Roses were present, I made a beeline to talk to this rose expert. So, Michael, welcome and thank you for coming and celebrating our final days of the year and bringing in the new year with your joy of roses. Oh, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's uh, lovely to be talking to you. Well, Michael, I wanted to start with some ab- about your background and then we'll get into what sets David Austin Roses apart and, you know, the whole idea of roses. But you actually graduated fr- in agricultural botany and you went to work in plant pathology in the Pacific, you worked on rubber and cocoa and oil palm estates. What brought you back to England and to roses? It seems really different to be working on rubber and cocoa and palms and then go to roses. It was a bit of a contrast, yes. The, the only connection is oil palm and roses are both very thorny. But apart from that, uh, yes, not a lot of connection. Um, basically, after five years, we had a fantastic time out there for five years and... Um, uh, saw all sorts of different places, uh, but decided that um, you know it's a, it's a very, very different to living in England, and decided that it was time to come back to England and uh, and uh, be sort of normal people a bit more. I think <laughs> so. Yeah, we came back, and I just normal. got the talking roses by chance, really. Um, I've always been passionate about plants and gardens, and so uh, yeah, just got got into roses by complete uh, by complete chance. Well, tell us about David Austin Roses because they are renowned the world over and, you know, they have um, really kind of stringent breeding techniques to really create these beautiful rose collections. So how did you actually get involved with uh, the David Austin Roses and you, I mean, because you were like first working in the nursery and then you moved up to technical director and now you're a rosarian and you travel and talk about these roses. So tell us about what differentiates David Austin roses from other roses. Um, they're, 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 well, when I first joined uh, the nursery, they were a very, very distinct group. There was nothing else like them. I first joined 30 years ago. And so then the hybrid teas and the floribundas were still very much um, flavor of the day. And that's what, you know, if you asked somebody to imagine a rose, immediately they would have imagined a hybrid tea type rose with a sort of a high pointed center and uh, rather a formal plant, rather upright, and rather brightly colored. 
whereas the David Austin English roses look very different. He he was um, passionate about the old roses, the the old Gallicas and Damasks and Albers, and that's what he was uh, he was trying to breed something that looked like them, but repeated flower. The old the old roses like that, the old Gallicas and Damasks, they only flowered one time, and of course gardeners immediately. Um, as soon as you say uh, the, the rose flowers only once, they, they dismiss it out of hand. You know, a rose must must repeat flower. No good if a rose only flowers once. And so they were just rejected. But So he, he wanted to try and get the best of both worlds by getting repeat flowering and a wide color range of the modern hybrid teas and floribundas and cross it with the, the old-fashioned type roses, the old Gallicas and Damasks, and try and get the best of both worlds. So you get the the charm, the fragrance, the beauty of the old roses and the repeat flowering and the wide color range of the, the modern roses. And, uh, that's well, what and also the, his rose, his roses too. I mean, they're uh, very disease resistant, which is into, you know, which I think is really in, important. And as you just mentioned, the fragrance, because these roses have that wonderful, you know, fragrance of old roses with those beautiful petals, etc. So he really did, he was able to accomplish that goal of combining the old with the new and creating something that was more spectacular. Yes, I mean, the, the fragrance is just so important. What's the first thing you do when you get given a rose or you see a rose in a garden is you, you put your nose to it to sort of try and appreciate the fragrance. And so often with the modern roses, there was nothing there at all. And so he made it one of his top priorities when he started breeding the roses that all of it, all of them should have a, a really good fragrance. And um, roses are totally exceptional in the plant world in, in having an incredibly wide range of completely different fragrance types. There's no other plant, basically, that has such a wide range of different fragrance types as the rose. And so, you know, I, I, I'm absolutely passionate about fragrance and roses, and every chance I get, I go along and sniff them to see what I can uh, get out of them. And it's, uh, it's, it's not just pleasurable, it's actually really good for you as well. Uh, smelling flowers. Absolutely. Very, yeah, it has a very strong effect it, on the very basic part of your brain. And you know, so the more you can smell plants and roses, the, the better off you'll be. Well, and see, we're so, we're coming uh, to you live right now on Voice America Radio, and I'm here in California, you're in Great Britain, and what's so wonderful is here it is, the end of December, and roses are still blooming, and we'll be, we know, until we do a heavy prune in January, uh, the roses just are all year round, and so what I, one of the things I love about roses is that they give so much back, but people tend to think roses are difficult to grow. And I know you want to explode that myth because the David Austin roses definitely are not difficult to grow. Absolutely not. And uh, yes, as you say, people just have this idea that roses are, are difficult to grow. You know, you've got to prune them in a special way and you've got to spray them every week or two or something like that. The most important thing is to choose a good variety. And some varieties are really susceptible to disease and others are, are really resistant ask the right person uh, and you'll find out which roses are the healthiest and the toughest and they're just so easy to 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 look after and pruning is dead easy you there's also these ridiculous rules that you read about in in books where you have to sort of prune at an angle and prune just above the bud and things like that that's all can be forgotten about uh, because pruning is just a matter of reducing the height down to maybe about half somewhere between a third and two thirds and don't worry anything about your cut or you know doing a, um, 
doing um, uh, an outward pointing bud and all that sort of thing. Just just uh, prune away, just reduce the height, very easy. See, I find that so uh, invigorating and, and so refreshing to hear you as a rose expert say that because as a garden writer, I'm always writing about roses, but I get so many letters about Oh, they're just so, you know, challenging and give us exactly these tips on how to prune, et cetera. And I love the fact that you're saying it doesn't matter. Just take, just take them down. Now, roses are so versatile. And how do you recommend keeping your roses healthy? Yes, we know we start with good stock from the very beginning. I mean, you can never, if you get a sick rose, it's probably never going to get well. So outside of, first of all, purchasing a good quality rose, what are some of the easy tips to keep them healthy all year round? So it's not just a good quality rose, a good variety. Um, so make sure that, uh, that the variety you grow is good in your area. So what the, the slight challenge is that you, what might be good in, say, New York, might not be very good in, in uh, Los Angeles or, and vice versa. So just, let's say, ask some experts and see what's good in your area. Then the other most important thing is to prepare the ground well. So, you know, remember your, that rose is going to be hopefully in the ground for 10, 15, 20 years. So it's worth actually spending a little bit extra time and money on preparing that ground very well and uh, planting it really carefully as well. And once it's in the ground, then it's, then it's dead easy. Uh, that's the easy part. So uh, 90% of the secret of growing roses is choosing a good variety choosing a good plant, and then preparing the ground very well. And then after that, all you have to do well, is... Well, and I think the soil is the soil is always important, Michael. It's like the foundation of a house, right? I mean, you wouldn't build a house on a swamp. You have to prepare yeah. the soil. And that is, that's a step that many people forget, that the soil is critical, you know, to, uh, to having anything that will grow and flourish and thrive. Well, there are different classifications of uh, English roses, you know, the old hybrids and, and um, the climbing roses and the musk roses. Could you tell us a little bit about the, how the roses uh, are classified or how David Austin classifies them and uh, and what makes them different from one another? And, you know, like, which ones are going to be better in different areas? I always tell people to ask at a local, you know, a local expert what's going to grow well in their area because of what you just said. Different climates, you know, require different growing conditions for a rose. Yeah, so the, um, if you live in a cold winter area, then, then roses like other plants uh, are hardiness to a certain zone. So most of the hybrid teas and floribundas are only hardy to about zone six or seven or somewhere like that, whereas most of the English roses are hardy down to zone four or five. So if you live in a really cold part of the States, then it's, trying, it's worth trying to um, uh, search out the, the hardier roses. Otherwise, you've got to protect them during the winter, which is a bit of a drag, really. Uh, I mean, you can do that, uh, but it's, it's a bit of a bore to have to do that. Um, but then, on the other hand, if you live in a hot, humid area, and again, some roses will be able to cope with that and uh, others not. So the, the, the hybrid teas and floribundas, I tend to call them bush roses because they're sort of rather shorter and more compact, whereas things like the English roses uh, are, are belong to what I call the shrub roses. So they're rather more informal in character. Uh, they grow maybe a little bit taller, but they also tend to be quite a lot tougher and more reliable as well. So if you want a rose that's um, you know, easy to... Flowers really freely and often has a 
wonderful fragrance, then go for one of the English roses, David Austin English roses, or um, one of the shrub roses. And uh, they're, they're great. They're really good plants. And then, of course, on top of that, you have all the climbing roses as well, which are great for fences and walls and arches and arbors and things like that. Uh, and again, the uh, quite a few of the, the English roses, uh, especially in warmer climates like uh, in the south in California, uh, they grow as climbers. They actually make amazing climbers up to sort of six, eight, ten feet tall. They flower from the base right up to the top and still have a wonderful fragrance as well. So it's well worth uh, adding uh, climbing roses in your garden because they really add a lot. They And they make it look like an English garden. We're speaking with technical... <clears throat> Manager and Rosarian Michael Marriott, he's from David Austin Roses in Great Britain. And these David Austin Roses, you're probably familiar with them, but they really are spectacular because they have the most beautiful forms, fragrance, uh, disease control, beautiful foliage, and they just make a garden really super. But, uh, Michael, you are introducing a, a new rose. Well, I think you have three new English roses for this next year, but one of them is called Olivia Rose Austin. I'm really interested in it because it has approximately like nine. 90 petals, and it seems that it's hardy uh, in zones 5 through 10. Now, it was named after David Austin Jr.'s daughter, and you've written that this is probably the best uh, best rose you've ever bred. Tell us a little bit about it. How did, you, how, how did that come about? How did you do the breeding process on this? Well, uh, the, the breeding progress process goes on all the time. So every year, it's a huge, uh, huge process. Every year we do about 150,000 crosses to produce about 400,000 seeds. And it's from those 400,000 oh seeds that we introduce the um, three or four new varieties that we introduce every year. So it's, it's really a tough life being a rose seedling. I don't recommend you come back in your next life as one because <laughs> you, you probably won't survive. <laughs> they, they, we, only, we only choose the best of the best. And so in the first year, we, we maybe only select about 10,000, the rest are, are thrown away. So immediately in the first year, we're, we're chucking away a couple of hundred thousand. Um, and then those initial 10,000 get selected down to a few hundred and then a few tens. And then basically after about three, uh, eight or nine years, we introduce the three or four varieties that we... In that the UK is an amazing process. You know, I have, I have a feeling that people have no idea that this happens. I want to give the website. It's davidaustinroses.com, and Austin is with an I, davidaustinroses.com. You know, we're coming into the season for bare root, and I wanted to ask you, what is the difference really between buying a containerized rose or going bare root? Is one going to be more successful than the other, or does it just depend on you know, what, how you want to do it. Tell us more about that. Uh, both are very successful. Um, the, the, um, the great thing about the containerized roses is, is that you can basically buy them and plant them year-round, uh, whereas the bare root season has a short season. So if you're in California, uh, we recommend you, you stop planting them about sort of March, April time. Um, but then if you li live up north, then it goes on into uh, May, something like that. So... Uh, if you plant a bare root rose, then it's probably a little bit easier to establish. But if you plant a containerized rose, then it's very important that you 
water them very well uh, before you plant them and then in the first few weeks after planting. So both are very successful. You tend to, with a bare root rose, you know, if you go to uh, our website or get our catalogue, you'll see there's a very wide range of varieties. So there's the full range available. But if you go along to a garden centre, they'll probably just select, I don't know, 10 or 15 varieties or something like that. And so it's a slightly narrow range. So it's usually the best, better varieties, but it's just a, a narrow range. So if you're keen to get something maybe you know, to, to choose your own variety and spend time on really pouring over what the list is there and uh, and carefully selecting what colour you want and what height and things like that. And it's, it's uh, worth buying bare root roses because then you get the choice and you can plant them just at the right time. But they're both very successful. And uh, in my own garden, I'll plant both according to, you know, my whim. So if I suddenly want a certain variety in my garden and it's middle of the summer, I'll go and get one in container and plant it in, give it a jolly good watering, and it grows very, very well. So uh, not a lot of difference. Really. How many roses, How many roses, Michael, are you growing now? Because I would imagine with 30 years being with David Austin, you must fall in love with, you know, the new varieties all the time. I mean, don't you just want to grow all of them? <laughs> it's very difficult, actually. And we've only just moved into this house about 18 months ago, and we've completely redone the garden. And uh, so, in fact, um, I, well, we've already planted about 30 or 40 or something like that. But, uh, yes, plan to get a lot more in in the next few years. Uh, they're just, I mean, they're just, anybody who says that roses aren't worthwhile and they're hard work is just so silly because you know, whatever plant can potentially uh, have a, a beautiful individual flower, fantastic fragrance, flower for six months of the year or more, and be easy to look after. You know, there's just no other plant that can give you so much. Uh, they're just amazing plants. Uh, you know, I totally agree with you. I always have uh, cut roses in the house. I mean, I never buy flowers because I have a, such a big garden. And there's always something blooming. And I can always count on roses blooming. And so, I'm, I, like you, I'm always astonished when people tell me how challenging. or they, I think people who think that roses are challenging haven't grown them. You know, they're just I listening so. to what other people are saying. Yeah. Now, well, what about drought resistant? Because you know, California is in a terrible drought. Yeah, people think that roses need a lot of water, and they they do appreciate a lot of water. They would prefer to have a lot of water, but um, in fact, uh, they still survive and flower very well on just uh, minimal quantities. The most important thing is to. Uh, once you plant it, is to um, mulch them every year really, really well, and that'll help to keep the moisture in the ground. And just a, a bit of a soaking once a week or something like that will probably be fine. Uh, and even if great survivors, so they'll they'll sulk a bit if it doesn't if they don't get watered. But they'll they'll uh, as soon as the water does become available, they'll perk up like mad and look absolutely fantastic. And they don't have to be in full sun either. You know, they, they actually benefit from a little bit of uh, shade in California in the hot, hotter parts. So if they get shaded from the afternoon sun, they won't lose so much moisture and uh, will probably be better for it. Well, that's really good to know because, you know, that again, with the drought and the sunshine here, and we're supposed to have even more, you know, it's good to know that you can plant them in the shade. But, you know, what about... Um, deadheading them you know some people they 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 don't want to like you know prune them once a week or when the flowers are spent and they'll let the um they'll they'll let the flower just go to a rose hip and then they'll say oh it stopped flowering but they're not realizing what it is they're doing what do you recommend 
if you want a lot of flowers, then yes, it's, it's best to go around. And, and I actually, I like deadheading. It's a good chance to go around. I do too. I do it twice a week. Yeah, it's you know, it's a good good chance to get around and look closely. <coughs> excuse me, look closely at your roses and you know, give them another sniff. And it just you can just click them off with your fingers. You know, you don't have to go around the sectors and tidy them up. You can just <coughs> you can just break them off and uh, then just throw the the old flower on the ground. It'd be super tidy or anything like that. So actually, I think I, I like deadheading. And uh, but then on the other hand, if you leave the flowers on there, you get hips and hips are beautiful, especially later on in the season, and they're good for feeding the birds as well. So um, you know. Don't, don't get too uh, hung up about it. It's, it's dead easy. It's all, all good right. fun. Well, well, that's what I feel. I feel at this time of the year, the hips are really pretty because they just kind of, they fall right in with the holiday season and you can make beautiful arrangements with them as well as, as you said, I'm really big on our, our feathered friends and to give those rose hips, to have those available for the birds are great. Now, you were talking about um, the disease resistance factor and that's always been another big thing that people are always talking about oh you know because you were saying about spraying etc and if you're keeping the soil healthy uh, your the roses should be okay is there something that besides like a, you know a fertilizer an organic fertilizer that is a good thing for the roses pour coffee grinds on them give them a little acid you know give them that bolt of java what do you like to do um, yeah, just the, the most important thing is, is giving a good feed. And so organic or, or organically based fertilizer is the best. The other thing that is, um, becoming more and more effective, um, is compost teas. And, uh, if you can get hold of those, apply those to your, to your roses, then they really love that and it improves the soil as well. So, uh, yeah, compost teas, foliar feeds of some sort are, are great. Um, the thing is not to overdo it. You know, just keep it, uh, read the packet, make sure that you put on what they recommend. And if you do put on a granular fertilizer, don't just put it sort of like in a heap on top of the, on top of the roots. Scatter it all around in a, in a big area all around the rows. But do be sure not to put uh, too much on because that can do more harm than good. <laughs> just give it a little bit extra and that'll do, uh, that'll make them grow better. It often won't do. So just, just put on what it recommends and no more. Well, we're talking with Michael Marriott. He's the technical manager, Rosarian, of David Austin Roses in Great Britain. The website for David Austin Roses is davidaustinroses.com. And I really recommend that you get their catalog. Their handbook of uh, roses is just really beautiful. And it'll give you lots of ideas of what to plant and, you know, and how to kind of organize it and put it together. And, and the roses, again, I, they're your, these roses are just my very, very favorite, and especially because of the amazing, amazing fragrance. Well, before um, we have to leave, uh, Michael, I just want to thank you so much for coming on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, to share your knowledge and, most of all, how easy it is to grow roses. Really enjoyed it. Well, thank you, and Happy New Year, and may all of you go out, pick up uh, a copy of the catalog, David Austin Roses. Go to davidaustinroses.com. Check out what's going to be new for this next year, and you will just have a magnificent garden. Michael Marriott, thanks for joining me here on Star Style. Be the star you are. Happy, happy New Year to you. 
Thank you, Ash. And the same to you too, Cynthia. Thank you. And I'll be back in a bit. Don't go away. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are on the Voice America Network, the Empowerment Channel. I'm Cynthia Bryan, and this is our New Year special. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Knowledge is key to everything. When he was a boy, the third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, spent more than 15 hours a day studying, plus three more hours practicing the violin. And as an adult, he was considered one of the leading thinkers of his day. He was an expert in a number of fields, including politics, science, art, architecture, literature, gardening, and history. If we would read just one book per week, that would amount to four per month or approximately 50 books per year, 500 books in 10 years, we would have knowledge that opens the doors to understanding the world we live in. By keeping our minds exercised by reading, studying, and being in nature, we will keep mentally, physically, and spiritually fit and be better equipped to approach even the most daunting tasks with total optimism. Take a tip from the third president of the United States, go out into the garden. Remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information about a coaching or consulting session, call 925-377-STAR. That's 925-377-STAR. Or better yet, visit our website, star-style.com. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit be the star you are.org to make a tax deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. Be the star you are.org. Pump up your energy and jumpstart your dreams with positive, life-changing interviews and star-studded conversations on our award-winning program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, hosted by the passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. Well, I'm so glad that you stayed with us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where we do bring you the experts from around the world to enhance your day and to educate and entertain you. We love Michael Marriott. We love David Austin Roses. So we know that you're going to be going out into the garden and you'll be looking for some bare roots in January and then planting others throughout the spring. So you might want to know a little bit about the history of roses because they have a very long and colorful history. They have been symbols of love, of beauty, of war, of politics. The rose, according to fossil evidence, is actually 35 million years old. I mean, that's that's old. (laughs) In nature, the genus Rosa has over 150 species spread throughout the northern hemisphere, from Alaska to Mexico, and including northern Africa. 
garden cultivation of roses began some 5,000 years ago, and we think it was probably in China. Now, during the Roman period, roses were grown extensively in the Middle East. They were used as confetti at celebrations, and they still are today. Think about weddings. They were used for medicinal purpose. And they were used as a source, a source of perfume, all things we still use for today. Now, Roman nobility established large rose public gardens in the south of Rome. And after the fall of the Roman Empire, the popularity of roses seemed to rise and fall depending on the gardening trends of the time. Now, we move forward to the 15th century, and the rose was used as a symbol for the factions fighting to control England. Now, you probably remember the War of the Roses. The white rose symbolized York, and the red rose symbolized Lancaster, and that's why the conflict was known as the War of the Roses. They were in such high demand during the 17th century that royalty considered roses, or rose water, as legal tender, and they were often used as barter and for payment, just like when Holland was doing the tulips. It was very similar. Napoleon's wife, Josephine, established an extensive collection of roses at Chateau de Malmaison. It was an estate seven miles west of Paris in the 1800s. And this garden became the setting for Pierre-Joseph Redoux's work as a botanical illustrator. In 1824, he completed his watercolor collection, Le Rose, which is still considered one of the finest records of botanical illustration. And it wasn't until the late 18th century, though, that cultivated roses were introduced into Europe from China. So most modern-day roses can be traced back to this ancestry. And all these introductions will repeat bloomers, making them unusual and of great interest to hybridizers, setting the stage for breeding work with native roses to select for hardiness and a long bloom season. And many of these early efforts by plant breeders are of great interest to gardeners today. And this is why we all have these beautiful, beautiful rose gardeners. Now, roses have grown widely throughout the Northern Hemisphere, from Norway to Alaska to Mexico to Africa. But no wild roses have ever been discovered growing in the Southern Hemisphere. Now, there is fossil evidence when we get back here to the United States, and I found this interesting, too, that um, the fossil evidence in Oregon and Montana was dating roses here at least 35 million years ago, and that is long before the appearance of modern of modern uh, humans. So we know how much that roses have been loved and what they've been used for and the symbols that they've been used for. In the ancient uh, Parisians, well, I, they're not that ancient, but the 12th century before the common era, they considered the rose as a symbol of love, which it still is today. The Greek historian Theophrastus wrote that the first detailed description of roses some 900 years later, and Alexander the Great is said to have grown roses and the different pagan goddesses like um, like Isis are associated with the rose. Now, during the 15th century in England, the white rose and the, and the red roses I was talking about with the War of the Roses, that really put something different into the English uh, popularity because, uh, obviously, if you were from Lancaster, you should only have red roses around, and if you were from York, you should only have the white roses. So I think that that is um, rather fascinating, that that the rose could symbolize war, it could symbolize peace, and it could symbolize um, love, 
and romance, etc. So roses have been used for so many different things, and they are very, you know, they're easy to grow. I think there's been, well, Michael Stoke talks about this as well, but there's so many myths around roses because I have, when as a garden writer, people are always saying to me, oh, why plant roses? I mean, they're so hard to grow. I have found them just absolutely the easiest. Now, I just want to give you a little breakdown of the different kinds of roses before we end the show because there are floribundans. There are hybrids, there are grandiflora, there are shrub and landscape, there are climbers, there are miniatures, and there are tree roses. Now, floribundas make any landscape design stand out because they're very colorful. The hybrids are one of the most popular roses because they're tall and long-stemmed, and they're ideal for cutting, and those are the ones you should see at the florist. The grandiflora is a cross between a floribunda and a hybrid. They're tall, they're elegant, they bloom repeatedly during the season, and they generally feature a classic hybrid tea flower cluster with stems that are slightly shorter. The shrub in the landscape, they've changed the way many people view roses because shrub roses, especially when compared to traditional varieties, they're naturally disease resistant. They're willing to grow in a variety of climates with very minimum attention from the gardener. And they don't require many much pruning. Climbers are probably self-explanatory. They produce long, arching canes with numerous flowers that can be trained on a trellis, a fence, or a supporting structure. Miniature are great because you can put them into a, a container. And they captivate people because they are the smallest of the rose plants. And they can be six inches to two feet. So they're fun. And then the tree roses are made of a hardy root stack, they're, uh, stock. They're gr- grafted on a long stem. And they are elegant. They line up a walkway. And, you know, you could just make a whole rose garden. So anyway, this was just a little introduction into roses. For more information, you're going to want to visit uh, davidaustinroses.com. And you're going to want to go to cynthiabryan.com and click on the garden site. So thank you so much for being great listeners and allowing Heather and I into your life every single week. Make sure you are tuned in to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, every single Wednesday, coming live to you on the Voice America Network, the Empowerment Channel. It is the end of the year. Give a donation to Be The Star You Are charity. Visit bethestarur.org and click on Donate. Or you can go to PayPal Giving Fund, and through the end of the year, they're giving an extra 1% to Be The Star You Are when you click on Be The Star You Are. For information about Star Style, visit star-style.com. And as always, my aim is to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate you. I want you to believe in yourself and know that you already are a star. And until next week, when it is a brand new year, and we will celebrate again and start off with a bang, remember that love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan for Star Style. Star Style, thanking you and encouraging you. Be the star you are. Make it a perfect week. Dream, create, inspire, and make a difference. May the best of this year be the worst of next year. Wishing you a wonderful, safe, prosperous, happy, and joyous new year. We'll be together next week. Thanks for joining me.
It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to www.bethestarur.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic hosts, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are. You are.